1: podcast episode 10 i am nit sarasso
0: and i'm the talking beard jose rivera
1: and jose we have reached the double digit mark with episode 10 so
0: i know feels good man i mean it feels like the legit you know with a real deal i think we are more popular officially than kid rock now
1: <laughs> i think he's running for senator or government now positions. so certainly interesting on that part but we got a lot to talk about today the ALCS, NLCS, and as well as the NFL as we head into week six. So I want to jump right into the ALCS. Last night, the Astros took game one in a 2-1 to win over the New York Yankees. And we saw the the Yankees make that combat 2 nothing against the Indians. But with tonight, Justin Verlander on the mound, who's already won two games for the Astros and the ALDS, is tonight a must win for the Yankees if they fall behind 2-0?
0: I mean, I don't want to say it's must win because going into the series, the series is a little bit different than the Yankees Indians series. With this one, Dallas Keigel, it's a known fact that he owns the New York Yankees. Dallas Keigel is always going to beat the Yankees. I'll take my money when Dallas Keigel is on the mound against New York. It's just, it always happens. And that's what you saw last night. And it was a little bit concerning that even after Greg Bird hit the home run in the ninth inning, I mean, you're talking about they were only a run down. But that dugout was not really lively. Um, Usually when they hit a home run, you see them get all happy. They get all cheering. This team was only down by one run. I mean, and you're going up against a closer that had a track record last year of blowing saves. This year he was phenomenal. You know, but he's not, you know, he's not Mariano Rivera. He's not invincible out there. So for the Yankees, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more energy after Greg Bird hit that home run yesterday to break up the shutout. Um, Again, they weren't alive as I wanted to see them, which was a little weird, which concerns me. But I wouldn't say it's a must win. The Yankees do own Justin Verlander in his career. They always seem to beat him. But then after that, who do the Astros really have? They can't just put Dallas Cogu every single day. I know Brad Peacock has had a phenomenal year. I know Lance McCullers is a very good pitcher. I understand Charlie Morton's also had a comeback year this year for the Astros as well, too. But the Yankees pitching staff in general, starters or bullpen, is better than the rest of their rotation for the Houston Astros. So unless Dallas Cogu is pitching every day, I mean, yes, you don't want to fall down 2-0 in the series, but the Yankees can still come back and even the series before they have to face Dallas Coggle again.
1: Yeah, although that I just have an issue with the Yankees going back to New York down 2-0 again. I know we've seen them make the comeback already, but just in a 7-game series, it's a lot easier to come back after a little bit behind. But overall, I think it just is going to send a even more confident message for the Houston Astros, who... I believe is the better team of the two. It's really going to depend, to me, on the story to tell. If the Yankees can keep this game too close, if they can get Justin Verlander out of the game early, obviously that should be, result in the Yankees winning this ball game. Because if they just get to the bullpen, and it's just bullpen versus bullpen, I think you're automatically going to see Yankees win those type of games nine times out of ten, and I think most Yankee fans know that part, but it's going to be the challenge between how the Yankees can do against a lot of the Astros' starting pitchers, because, as you mentioned, Keitel owns the Yankees. Verlander is a former MVP and Cy Young, and he's still a phenomenal pitcher, and Brad Peacock's been amazing this season. He did struggle against the Boston Red Sox, but overall on the year, I'd still take my chances with Brad Peacock than most starting pitchers that are remaining in the postseason so far because of the fact of his numbers and his strikeout ability has been off the chart. So I really think that the Yankees need to try and get starting pitchers out of the ballgames early, but their strikeout numbers have been really terrible to start off this season in the postseason. And Jose, what is your main expectation coming out of this series? And, of course, which team also will go to the World Series?
0: Well, I expect you know a little bit more of a slugfest within this series. I understand we're looking at great pitching here when it comes to some of the starters in this ballgame, a great bullpen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple more games in this series like the one we saw yesterday where it's 2-1. No extra base hits on either side yesterday besides the home run, which was shocking to me. Um, you know, no doubles, no triples, nothing just straight up singles. But I do expect to see the offense pick up a little bit more. I mean, you're looking at, you're looking at two of the ballparks that generate the most home runs in the league. Maybe not statistically, but they do generate a lot of offense in Minute Maid Park. And in Yankee Stadium, of course, with that short right porch, I think especially when we get to Yankee Stadium, we're going to see a lot of those five, six games, seven, six where they're going back and forth with the long ball. I feel like most of the starting pitchers in this series do give up a lot of home runs, so we're going to see a couple of those too. But overall, I think this is going to be a fun series to watch. I mean, the Yankees, you know, they took down the monster with the Cleveland Indians. They're full of, they're full of steam, they're full of confidence, and this Houston Astros team is just so young and confident too. You know, they told Jose Altuve yesterday, oh, you know, you're facing Tanaka, right? He's pretty good. And he responded by saying, yeah, but we're good, too. The Astros know who they are. At this point, the Yankees are so confident in who they are that this is going to be a good series. And you might see the World Series winner come from this series, in my opinion. Now, originally, I had the Astros going to the World Series because I thought the Astros would be facing the Cleveland Indians. And this might shock some people. But with the Yankees advancing instead of the Indians, I'm actually going to go Yankees in six. Again, that bullpen is better than the Astro bullpen. I understand Ken Giles had a phenomenal year, but this is a guy that couldn't close a garage door last year, even if he had a full operating remote control. It was that bad last year. And he was 34 for 38 this year, I believe, or something along those lines. And give him credit, he's really turned it around this year. Dallas Kygo is a stud, but the Yankees own Justin Verlander in his career. And again, I understand Brad Peacock had a great year. You still have Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers. But for the Yankees, you still have good guys over there, too. I mean, CC Sabathia has made two really good starts in the postseason already. That's more than you can ask for for him. Tanaka seems to be on his game. He went toe-to-toe with Coggle yesterday. I mean, he loses the game 2-0. I'm not blaming Tanaka for that. Sonny Gray, you know, a good pitcher. Just doesn't get any run support for the Yankees. And Severino really turned it around in that game four against the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, turned it around since that bad outing he had in the wild card game. And then not to mention your starters for the Yankees only have to go five or six innings before you're dipping into a bullpen that includes a combination of Robertson, Kaneley, Batances, and Chapman, and that's not even including guys like Jason Shreve or Chad Green. I think from top to bottom, the Yankees' pitching staff is better than the Astros. I know the Astros' offense might be better than the Yankees' offense, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're looking at if the Yankees have a lead going into the fifth inning, this game might be over.
1: Yeah, the Yankees are going to have to try and get it to the bullpen very early. I think that was the game plan versus the Indians. We saw Joe Girardi just consistently go with that game plan, even in Game 2 against the Indians where they lost. And people had said, why take CC out early? Well, that's been Joe Girardi's plan from the get-go. Take out the starting pitchers early before they get into too much trouble. Do rely on the uh, probably the best bullpen in all of baseball at the end of the day, and I think that's going to be the game plan again for the Houston Astros. I like the Astros in six games instead. You know, overall, for baseball, this is really a youth movement for the postseason. The Cubs are extremely young. They've won the World Series last year. The Astros, an extremely young team. The Yankees, it's rare to say that word, but they're a young team as well, so a very large youth movement in the the MLB especially, coming towards the World Series. If the Yankees cannot knock out starting pitchers, can't get Dallas title out of ball ballgames early, can't get Justin Verlander out of ball ballgames early, can't get Brad Peacock out of ballgames early, I think the Astros are easily going to win this series at that point. And really the big question mark for me is Sonny Gray, because he's going to go a long time bef- between starts. He's through early in the series against the Indians, and he's not pitching game two, instead it's Saravino, so it's going to be interesting how they handle Gray and how well he'll do in a situation coming with a lot of rest, so that's a big concern for me when it comes to the Yankees and Gray. With the NL CS that series is about to start. Again, we're recording this podcast early Saturday morning, so both the ALCS Game 2 and then the NLCS Game 1 playing later today. So NLCS, the defending World Series champs versus the Nationally and the MLB best record in baseball this season between the Dodgers and the Chicago Cubs. We saw the Cubs just sweep by the Nationals. Unfortunately, the Nationals fell in Game 5 in that series. Third time since 2012, the Nationals lose a Game 5 in the NLDS at home. Whole nother story there, though. Going into the Dodgers and Cubs series, Jose, what are you looking at?
0: Well, I'm looking at a pretty good matchup on paper. I mean, you're talking about a rematch from last year's NLCS. And if you think the Dodgers, you know, forgot that they were A couple outs away from going to the World Series themselves last year, you're forgetting. I mean, that was a phenomenal seven-game series last year. We saw Kershaw really get rid of his postseason demons last year. I felt like in that series, you know, he came out of the bullpen and everything. Even though the Dodgers lost in that game, I really feel like that was the turning of Kershaw's postseason career. And now you're seeing a better Clayton Kershaw out there. But it was a phenomenal series on both ends. I mean, these are two of the more dominant teams in the National League, and the Cubs and the Dodgers. And they are right back in it here this year. I think the Cubs are a little less dominant than they were last year, which might give the Dodgers a little bit of an edge. But I'm looking at a, you know, I'm looking at great pitching matchups. You know, you're you're probably going to see in Game One. I'm not sure who's throwing for the Cubs today. I'm sure you'll tell us. But you're looking at Kershaw going in Game One for the for the Dodgers. I mean, and you're looking at solid starting pitching matchups and two dynamic offenses that could really jumpstart their offense at any time. Uh, and as you said, it's kind of a youth movement kind of thing. They have a mix of two young and a couple veterans around them, too. So I'm excited just for the fact that this is going to be a rematch, basically, of last year, which was a phenomenal seven-game series. I don't know if this is going to go seven games as well, but I think we're in store for another classic between these two teams. It could become a nice little rivalry because of how many times they're going to face each other in the playoffs as of late.
1: Yeah. Clearly two of the best teams in baseball when you think of the Cubs and the Dodgers. And both having great stories coming into this series. Obviously, you mentioned the past between these two teams as well. And it, to me, I like the advantage that the Cubs have in this series on the fact that, you know, they had a versus the Washington Nationals, which is a better team than the Arizona Diamondbacks. A pitching staff that really put the Cubs' offense really in tight issues, especially in two of those games when Strasburg was throwing a no-hitter late into a ball game. Scherzer was throwing a no-hitter midway through a ball game. And the Cubs wind up winning both of those games. I mean, that's impressive in and its, of itself. And it really, I think, continually shows this Cubs mindset between these young players to not bat down. To falling behind... Doesn't mean you're out of a ball game. And we saw that last year in the World Series with them when they were down 3 1, and the same mindset again, it really looked like to me. I saw it with this Cubs team in that NLDS against the Nationals. Just the idea, okay, we're getting no hit, but we still have plenty of innings left in this ball game, and it's still very close. And for a pitching staff that overall hasn't been that great this season, John Lester hadn't put up great numbers. Arrieta has not been the same pitcher than he was in 2015 and 2016. But they got the job done against a Washington Nationals team that contains a stacked lineup at the end of the day. So I'm really looking at that as a big reason why I think the Cubs are going to beat the Dodgers and get back to the World Series because that's just the mindset of just, you know, we're down but we're not out of it. And for a team to have that kind of mindset in a playoffs, it reminds me almost of the San Francisco Giants when they were on those three World Series runs.
0: Yeah, I'm going to stick with the Cubs, too. As, as I said in my prediction before we started this whole thing, I said it was going to be Cubs over Diamondbacks in this round. I really thought the Diamondbacks would have put up a better fight. But you're right. You know, the difference in competition there, the D backs, we thought, I think everybody thought they were going to play better than what they did. But even when the Dodgers won those games, they were winning those games nine five or you know or scores of that nature um and really i expected better out of the dodgers pitching staff i mean you're talking about a pitching staff that includes kershaw you know rich hill who's had a phenomenal keeps having phenomenal years for the dodgers you know you darvish only lasted six innings against arizona and you tipped your cap to arizona but on paper the dodgers should have been able to really handle them and put them away i know they swept them but and it was the only sweep so far in, in the playoffs this year but The scores and the natures of those games, you didn't get the sense that L.A. was dominating as much as they really should, Um, even in game one. I mean, they jumped out to that 5-0 lead, and the final score to that game was 9-5. So I'm a little bit worried about the Dodgers sometimes. I feel like they get too confident, too cocky, too quickly. They get, you know, too comfortable, I should say. Um, And I think that's something that the Cubs might be able to feed off of. Uh, You know, again, it says a lot about the Cubs, you know, like you said they were being no-hit twice and ended up actually winning those games. It's not like they, those are the two games that they lost. They won those two games. I mean, and they won one game on a bleeder by Anthony Rizzo that fell between three defenders in no-man's land. Uh, and again, you know, the Cubs may not be as good as they were last year, but that doesn't mean that this team can't turn it on at the right time either.
1: And again, game one is still being, I think, decided by Joe Madden of who he wants to start. He's got the choice of John Lackey or Jose Quintana and, It'll be interesting to see who Madden goes with on that moment. But again, all, all signs to me point to the Cubs getting to the World Series again. And what really is interesting on with the Diamondback series is the Dodgers really never trailed that series. And they're going to certainly trail in games against the Cubs. We know how the Cubs' mindset is already when it comes to being behind. They're never out of it. The Dodgers, on the flip side... I think they've lost so much of late, especially in the regular season, that I think that could be the wrong mindset if they fall behind early in a ball game or if Kershaw struggles or if something just doesn't fall the Dodgers' way. it, It could be a real tough moment for the Dodgers to get out of a tough situation there. With that, I also have the Cubs going to the World Series. My World Series pits... Totally a mess. I thought the Nationals were going to be able to win it all. Obviously, different things come in different plans. So, Jose's doing much better than me on the projections for the playoffs already to begin with. So, congrats to you on most likely finishing with a better record than me in the postseason guesses and predictions as well.
0: Well, that's your own fault, man. That's like asking.
1: (laughs) Saying the Nationals
0: moving on to the next round is like asking, "Is water wet?" And the answer is yes. Are the Nationals going to move on to the next round? No. It's just it's there's three gar- there's three things that are guaranteed in life: death, taxes, and the Nationals getting out in the division series.
1: I think it's 69 straight Washington t- seasons among the Washington D.C. teams that have not been able to get out of the first round, uh, not been able to get into a championship series. So just... And honestly,
0: honestly, the Washington Wizards probably have the best chance. I really like that team. This could be a discussion for another day, but I don't see them getting to the actual um, you know, conference finals for basketball for a lot of different reasons, but I think we'll bring this up whenever we talk about basketball.
1: Yeah, basketball we're going to bring up in our Nets podcast as well. It's a little early to talk about that, but uh, as well as the NBA season just about to start up, but we wanted to cover the NLCS, ALCS as well. We're going to jump into some of the NFL, and week five, we're not going to talk about a lot of week five, but what we are going to talk about, Jose, is there were a ton of injuries in week five, and Jose, what was the biggest injury that you saw, or biggest injury that could affect the team?
0: Well, to me, I think it was the New York Giants injury. I mean, yes, the Giants were, were 0-4, now they're 0-5, and you know, pretty much their season is over, I understand that. But you're talking about losing four wide receivers in one day. I have never seen that in my lifetime. Maybe it's happened in the past. But four wide receivers in one day. I'm pretty sure they had no more wide receivers left over. The water boy probably had to take over because no one was left to take their place. You're talking about one guy who is a special special teams god in Dwayne Harris break his foot out for the year. Odell Beckham breaks his ankle out for the year. Brandon Marshall. I'm not sure if he has season-ending surgery too. He's
1: out for the I think year he, as well.
0: See, he's out for the year as well. I mean, that's a massacre. And again, for the Giants, they're not going anywhere. Obviously, they were 0 and four. Whether they were one and four or 0 and five, their season's pretty much over because of how well the Philadelphia Eagles are doing in that division and whatnot. But for the Giants, I mean. You wanted to try and turn your season around at least, maybe get back to 500. I see that almost as impossible now by losing that entire core of receivers. Shepard's going to be out for two weeks. So, hey, you know if you have him on your fantasy team, that's actually a plus because he's probably going to get a lot of usage now because, let's just be honest, Eli Manning has no one else to throw to. I mean, we're talking about the Giants getting tweeted at by Terrell Owens and Chad Ochocinco for a comeback. That's as bad as it gets right there. Um, I think the Giants really took a hit with all the injuries that they had on Sunday.
1: Yeah, first Giant game I dodo and all I see is a massacre on the field of oh, just injured so, players. So it was you. It was you. You did the First that. Giant game Dodo, I dodo this season. Been to plenty of in the past, but uh, yeah, certainly the Giants. A ton of injuries, and you know I'm not going to take the Giants. I'm going to take the Houston Texans. JJ Watt being injured and Whitney Marcellus. I mean, these are two guys that, since 2012, being on the same team, to 2017, 139 sats between the two players. And be, in the last two years, the sats just not really coming for J.J. Watt. Zero to start this season, five games, and only a sack and a half in 2000. and uh, Sorry, uh, for J.J. Watt in 2016, only a sack and a half for three games. So a lot of injuries for J.J. Watt these last two years, and that's a big concerning factor for me. But for the Houston Texans, I mean, we're seeing this offense really emerge through Deshaun Watson. And the only thing that could hurt this team is seeing the leader, the best defensive player in all football, J.J. Watt, go down for the season. And another top defensive player for the Houston Texans in Whitney Marcellus down for the season. And when you're trying to compete for a division title... That, I think, is a bigger team injury. Of course, safety reasons for Eli Manning and who he's going to throw to, that that's beyond questions at the moment. I think they should be holding tryouts for Invincible, like they did <laughs> at this rate for wide receiver. But certainly just a ton of injuries in Week 5, nonetheless. And It's going to be tougher than Houston to rebound from that, and I think it's certainly going to be nearly impossible for the Giants to rebound from these injuries as well. And big news coming in over the last two days with Ezekiel Elliott. So he may not have been injured, but he's certainly going to miss a lot of time as the suspension has been held up in, I believe, federal court now. So he's going to miss the next six games, and this week is a bye week for the Cowboys, which I guess Comes at the best time when this is to be announced that they'll have the this extra week to prepare of who's going to be the starting running back for this team between Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden, but six games without Ezekiel Elliott, this is going to be a real tough moment for the Cowboys.
0: Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and you get you, and the fact that they already started the year two and three, I believe, or maybe they're three and two. I forget which one it is, but for the three. Cowboy. They're 2-3. They haven't gotten off to the best of starts. And Philadelphia is red hot right now. And you need every weapon you have if you want to catch the Philadelphia Eagles at this point. And it's just not a good sign for the Cowboys. I will say this. Does Ezekiel Elliott deserve some sort of suspension, some sort of punishment? Hands down, yes, he does. But the NFL, I'm not a fan of the way they're handling this, where it's, he's suspended. Oh, now he's not. Oh, but now he is. But, okay, no, he's not, because he appealed it again. And then a couple weeks later, well, guess what? He is again. And now we're hearing talks about the Cowboys trying to appeal it again. Let's settle this already. Is he suspended or is he not? Because it's really messing with a lot of factors here. And you don't want to have the Philadelphia Eagles win the division and have people point at the Cowboys and say, well, the NFL is messing with the Cowboys all year. We don't really know if Philadelphia can do it. We don't know if they were really truly meant to be the NFC East champs. It's just a giant debacle. But – in terms of on the football field, yeah, this is huge. I mean, again, no disrespect to McFadden, no disrespect to Alfred Morris, they're good backups, but even combined, asking him to do what Ezekiel Elliott does is basically asking them to be Superman on the field. Ezekiel Elliott brings a different level of competition to the game. He's that guy. He's that every down running back. And again, the combination of McFadden and Morris is not going to be enough to, you know, add up to the, the add up to the the offense that Ezekiel Elliott can give you. And then, again, we go back to all the way in the preseason when we had our podcast, and we talked about if Ezekiel Elliott suspended, what does that mean for Dak Prescott? Again, now it puts more pressure on Prescott to throw more. And necessarily, in his development, I don't know if he's still at that point where we can see him start throwing more and be effective. Um, again, he doesn't have many receivers to throw to, so I feel like he really needs that running game, too, to rely on to help him manage a game. And if Ezekiel Elliott's not behind him, Dak Prescott's going to have a really hard time, and so do the Dallas Cowboys.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, too. I mean, overall, the offensive line is still phenomenal, but not as what it was last season. And I think we talked about it earlier. Like you said, if Dak Prescott is throwing 40 to 50 pass attempts per game, I don't think that's going to result in wins for the Dallas Cowboys. When we saw him going in the week three, where he was only throwing, I think, like 20 Pass attempts in the, in the football game and they were primarily going with the run at that point that was leading towards Cowboys' success. And Cowboys are 2-3 and three right now. So you have to figure, you have to go 3-3 three and three or better to finish these six games to, with your final five games at that point remaining and you still have a chance of making the playoffs. You'd, you'd have to essentially win out to be close to making the playoffs, but if you go three and three, but there are some winnable games for the Cowboys. I just want to run through these Netsits games and see, do you see wins or losses in them? At the 49ers, at Washington, home against Kansas City, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and San Diego. So Elliott would be returning on Thanksgiving for the team, but there's a couple wins in there for the Cowboys.
0: There is, and I think you put it perfectly. I mean, you read off those names, and I automatically think three and three. Um, The only one I'm a little bit skeptical on is probably the Washington one. That one can swing either way, depending on which Washington team wants to show up that day. Um, But they definitely can go three and three. I'm sorry, but I don't see them beating the Chiefs. And the Eagles are so red hot right now. And uh, Carson Wentz looks so good, too, on that field. I don't see them beating the Eagles. Um, So they can definitely beat the Chargers. They can definitely beat the Chiefs. They could definitely beat uh, the 49ers, but the other three, uh, you know I'm not so sure Atlanta, maybe they have a shot, but I think you're looking at three and three being the best possible scenario, and like you said, even if you're three and three, that may not even be a good point in where you want to be in because then you're looking at being five and six with only five games left to play and basically having to win out.
1: Yeah, the pressure is certainly on the Cowboys and how well they can get the job done offensively, especially against three very good teams. They'll be home against all three, Kansas City, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, but without Elliott, you could be looking at three easy losses for the Cowboys instead of possibly winning one or two of those games in those type of situations. So one of the big things that's going on in the NFL, the big question mark is, are some of these teams for real or overreaching? So I want to got a few different names, and I want to fire a couple at you. And, Jose, what's your take on them? Eagles picking up the win on Thursday night. They're 5-1 and one now with the best record in the NFC. Only their one loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Is the Eagles for real in your mind?
0: Yeah, the Eagles are definitely for real. I mentioned it before when we were breaking down the Cowboys. Carson Wentz is having a phenomenal year. This defense is having a phenomenal year. The only downside to the Eagles, in my opinion, is the run game. Uh, I think Blount really needs to pick it up. Obviously, losing Darren Sproles for the year was a huge blow. Um, But I think they can handle that. I think Carson Wentz, unlike a guy like Dak Prescott, is a little further along in his development. And where Carson Wentz can throw the the ball all game long, and they'll be just fine. Um, You know, you look at the Eagles, they're playing with that confidence. They're playing with that swagger. This is a team... That Yeah, they what what, seven and nine last year. But you look at them and you realize they weren't a seven and nine team. They were in it for a lot of those games that that they lost. Um, So they could have easily been on the winning side or have a winning record last year. But the NFC East was so good. Um, You know, not a lot of teams in the NFC East are good this year. The Giants are obviously doing terrible. Washington's not playing like they can. I think Dallas can still be a threat but the Eagles are clearly the best team in the NFC East right now, and they arguably could be the best team in the NFC in general right now, You know, behind teams like Green Bay, um, behind some other teams that I think are doing a little bit better. But to me, the Eagles are for real, and I have no doubt that um, they'll definitely make the playoffs behind Carson Wentz.
1: Yeah, I think also helping them out in a large part is how bad the rest of the NFC East has been. The best. The, uh, the Redskins are 2-2, two and two, who are currently in second in that division at the moment. So I think that's a big part on why the Eagles, are, I think, will make the playoffs. Their defense has been phenomenal this season. Uh, Carlson Wentz has been great. He's hitting Zach Ertz a ton. We're seeing the offense really quick for Philadelphia, but it's that defense for me that's been so impressive. Three interceptions on Cam Newton. A couple sats just overall, and defensively, they were getting the interceptions and putting the Eagles in the red zone on two of them that were, wound up being touchdowns to Zach Ertz early in the football game. So I think that's one of those things that gets a little bit unnoticed. We see how well Zach Ertz has been doing, and we see how well Carson Wentz has been doing, but that short field, that great defense that the Eagles possess, I, that just leads to a ton of success for a team, and I'm— i truly believe that the Eagles are going to take this division at the way they've played so far this season. So for me, the Eagles are for real. I'm not ready to name them the best team in the NFC. I think they just haven't added a couple of better matchups yet in their schedule, but certainly they are a for real team in my mind. The Buffalo Bills are 3-2 and two on the season. They have beaten the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons, but coming off a loss in Week 5 against the Cincinnati Bengals, the Bills sit on a bye for Week 6. But are the Bills a for-real team?
0: No, this is a team that I have as overreaching. Um, give them credit. They got off to a good start. But I think they benefited from a lot of uh, you know easy matches in the beginning as well, too. Yes, they had that big win over Atlanta. But again, I mean, this is a team that... They always have like their moments where they shine, but they always lose when it matters the most. And again, Tyrod Taylor is a good quarterback, but I don't see him as a franchise quarterback. LaShawn McCoy is really on the aging side of things, and I just don't trust this offense in general. The defense is good. I mean, I, I trust in the defense, but I don't see this offense holding up all year long. Um, again, they had a couple of favorable matchups to start the year, and they're just kind of lucky that the Patriots haven't caught fire yet, honestly, because once the Patriots do catch fire, they're going to burn through the rest of this division. Um, so really, the Bills, I just I have them as overreaching. I don't have much trust in them.
1: You know, I'm really a fan of the Bills' schedule. And the one win I'll say that was the questionable one is the Atlanta Falcons. They they overperformed against the Atlanta Fountains, Came into Atlanta, played phenomenal against the Falcons, and that I think was the most shocking win that they'll pull off this season. I don't think they're going to beat the New England Patriots at all, but overall the Bills they have a pretty easy schedule for the rest of the season and they've won the games that they're supposed to win against the Denver Broncos, against the New York Jets. They were able to pick up the win against the Falcons, but lose against Cincinnati so for them to sit 3 and 2 on a bye, I think they'll see a lot of confidence from and offensively, you know, they're better than what I think people view them as and Teron Taylor just hasn't seemed to gotten a connection with any of the wide receivers yet this season after Sammy Watkins has left so I think this bye week comes at a good time for them where they can try and get more involved with their wide receivers on that factor staying with the AFC East we cannot have a conversation of for real or overreaching without talking about the New York Jets, who are 3-2 and to start the season. After, I don't think any fan figured they'd win three games at all this season, and they've won three in a row, beating the Miami Dolphins, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and picking up their first road win as well against the Cleveland Browns. So, Jose, drumline, are the Jets for real?
0: Hell no. enough for <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, give the Jets a lot of credit. I mean, we said this in the preseason. We said it, that this Jets defense is good enough to win games. And I think you're seeing a lot of it is because of that defense for the Jets. And it's a good sign for them. You know, Josh McCowan and the offense don't have to do too much because of the defense keeping them in this game. I mean, look at the game against the Cleveland Browns. I understand it's against the Browns, but that game was scoreless until the end of the second half instead of just, you know, kick the field goal. This defense... I feel like, again, the defense is for real for the Jets. I mean, they're young, they're hungry, they're talented. I think that's where you're going to start to see the Jets have success first, which is on the defensive side of the ball. They drafted a lot of good defensive players over the past couple of years in the draft, including this year, too, with Jamal Adams. So, you know, the Jets are trending in the right direction. Yes, everybody expected them to tank. But, again, I knew they were going to win a couple of games because of that defense. I just wasn't expecting a 3-2 and two start. But this team is overreaching. Let's just face it on offense. Uh, Bilal Powell is going to miss a couple of games with a hamstring injury. Matt Forte is coming back soon, I believe. But let's just be honest. Matt Forte is not going to generate a lot of offense at this point of his career. He's on the older side of things. Josh McCowan is still a stopgap guy. You know, for the rest of the year, maybe even next year, forever long, he's there. The, the the Jets still have a lot of growing to do on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to face New England this week. I think New England's going to shove their face in the mud and walk all right over them. And I think a win from New England over the Jets, it's, it's going to jumpstart the fire that the Patriots are going to be on. And that's the role that they're going to need. Again, give credit to the Jets. I think the Jets can realistically win a couple more games too while they're at it, because they're only 3-2 and two right now. Um, I kept them at four wins this year. I thought they were going to be a 4-12 and 12 team. I could definitely see them winning maybe... Four, five, maybe even six games uh, this year, but they are overreaching. And it, well, it's hard to say they're overreaching because they already passed expectations. But this team is not for real. There's no playoff dream for this Jets team.
1: I think it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, for fans at the stadium at MetLife, uh, certainly when you're three and two, you have already done better than what most Jet fans had expected. And now you're playing the New England Patriots, and they're three and two. Where if you're able, I'm not saying it's happening. I expect the Patriots to win, but if you're able to beat the Patriots, and all of a sudden you're four and two, and you've taken first place in this division, maybe that's going to put a lot more fans in that mindset of believing. But Looking at the schedule, there are only three games where I could actually consider the Jets having a win. And that's on the road against Miami, at home against Buffalo, and on the road against the Chargers. Those are the only three that are conceivable as a possibility to win because their schedule gets extremely tough after Cleveland. And for me to expect the Jets to win three or four more games the rest of the season, I don't see it happening. I think they really stick at that four, maybe five mark for the rest of the season, and they are not a for-real team. They've they've won games that they're supposed to win. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing when they are trying to really lose out the entire season.
0: To me, the Jets are like that NCAA 16-seeded team that somehow snuck past the first seed, that are now going to get murdered by the second seeded team, which would be the New England Patriots in this in this sense of their way. So I don't know if it's going to be an enjoyable atmosphere uh, for fans going to the, to the to the field on Sunday.
1: Yeah, certainly I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere come that first quarter. It will see how well the Jets can stay into this game. Of course, New England's got a bad defense as well. Uh, Two more teams that happen to be playing each other this week. The Los Angeles Rams are 3-2 and two to start their season off, coming off with their big Week 4 win against the Dallas Cowboys. And their matchup for this week, the Jacksonville Jaguars are 3-2 and two, and a dominating defensive performance with the Jaguars against the Steelers in Week 5, blowing out the Steelers and really upsetting a lot of people in the Picking the Steelers to win that football game. So we'll start with the Rams. Jose, are the Rams for real as well?
0: Well, I'm all in on the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, you're talking about a complete 180 from last year. New head coach, new offensive game. Jared Goff is looking like a stud. Turns out he didn't need to hold the clipboard. All he needed was an offensive-minded head coach that was going to let him trust in his stuff. Jared Goff looks phenomenal. The Sammy Watkins trade, I know Watkins is not putting up big numbers every week, but I think just having the threat of Sammy Watkins out there really makes the defense respect the passing game. It gives Jared Goff that option of throwing to that big body out there. And Todd Gurley is having a fantastic, phenomenal season, bounce-back season on the running side of the ball. I mean, he, he has done truly phenomenal things. I know he didn't have a good game last time out, and I feel like the last game was like a true test for them, going up against the Seattle Seahawks. And even though they lost that game, the Rams are good. They're not there yet, but I do think this team is for real, and they'll be at least playing for playoff contention at the end of the year. I mean, this is a team that's kind of like the Jets in a lot of ways, where when they were rebuilding, the defense was good. You know, We were so hyped to see the defense every week, and really the Rams and Jaguars are in the same boat. Great defense. We're just waiting for the offense to pick up their side of the ball. The Rams are finally picking their end or doing their end of the job on offense. So, yeah, I think they're going to be in playoff contention. I don't know if they're going to be winning the NFC West at the end of the year, but I think you can see them as a possible wildcard team down the road um, this season. If not, maybe they'll just miss out. But I do think this team has a good chance to try and sneak into the playoffs.
1: You know, I'm going to say they're not for real. Uh, This is a team when they blew out Indianapolis Week 1. It was an impressive win, but everyone expected the Rams to win that football game. Their surprise win came against the Dallas Cowboys, but the three of their—they're all three they all three of their wins, they've scored over 35-plus points. And in two of those wins, they've also allowed 30 points or more. Overall, this team has not versed good defensive teams. The Colts, the Washington Redskins, San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys. And the first good defensive team they play holds them to 10 points. And you look at the schedule, and they're going to play a lot of very good run defenses and Todd Gurley has been very impressive through these first five games but I think when he's going to verse top defensive run teams it's going to be a little bit troubling for the Los Angeles Rams to get their offense going and so that's why I'm not going to say they're for real yet I'm very impressed with the team I think they've made a ton of great improvements from last season but overall I'm not ready to say that this team is for real I think next year is going to put them at a better spot but right now, I expect the Rams to fall off, and that starts off with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are also 3-2, and two and I think that team has been a for-real team this season. And yes, you're not going to intercept a, t- a quarterback five times consistently on Ben Roethlisberger, but overall, the Jacksonville Jaguars have played some very good defenses, have played some very good teams, and picking up the wins at the end of the day. They, they blew out Baltimore. They blew out Pittsburgh. They blew out Houston. Again, that was before Deshaun Watson was playing, so you have to take that with a little bit less. But looking at their schedule, it's a lot easier than a lot of these other teams that we're talking about, and the Jaguars, who have played extremely well defensively, should keep themselves in every single game. And, you know, maybe Blake Bortles starts playing okay or maybe he just plays a little bit better than before but we're also I think hearing a few rumors that the Jaguars should be possibly looking to trade for a quarterback as well so Jose are the Jaguars for real or and if they are should they be looking at a different quarterback
0: see to me the Jaguars are not for real but the only reason I say that is because of the quarterback situation I mean you're looking at a team that's had that that's always been trying to build their defense. Even last year when they drafted Jalen Ramsey, you know, they Last was they finally starting the defense that was supposed field last year for the Jaguars. I think the defense is familiar on the opposite side of the ball, Lenin Fournette has been phenomenal with the run game. And if the Jaguars had a better quarterback and you know what, obviously everybody that listens to this probably thinks I hate Blake Bortles. Um, and You know, it's not true. But the thing is with Blake Bortles is that he also doesn't have a lot of targets to throw to. I mean, you're talking about one of his top wide receivers getting hurt in game one of the season in Allen Robinson. Um, So my question is, even if you get another quarterback, does that change that? Does it change the fact that this team is still a run first team when it comes to Leonard Fournette and the running game? Because there's just not many realistic options on the wide receiver end of the ball for the Jaguars to throw to. So as much as I love to bash Blake Bortles, i got to cut him some slack a little bit on that one. But if I'm the Jaguars, if I'm looking at a QB, instead of trading one, maybe I'm looking at signing one. I still think, and I'm not saying this just because from a political standpoint, I think Colin Kaepernick would fit in very well with this Jacksonville Jaguar team. A beautiful running back in Leonard Fournette in his run game. Colin Kaepernick, a very mobile QB, putting him, in a playoff scenario where the Jaguars you know, have a decent shot to make the playoffs, I think would really rejuvenate his career and really get him to play the best kind of football he's played in a while. Maybe San Francisco-esque when they made their runs to the Super Bowl. But this team is clearly a run-based offense, so why not bring in a mobile QB like Callum Kaepernick?
1: That would be certainly an interesting choice. I was thinking more of like an Eli Manning or a Philip Rivers type of mindset. Uh, but Kaepernick certainly... I mean, he deserves to be having a job, and I think he's better than Blake Bortles at the end of the day as well. So it would be interesting to see if the Jaguars try and go into the quarterback style, especially when we know Tom Coughlin is with the team as well. So, But again, at the end of the day, for me, I think the Jaguars are for real. We both agree that the Eagles are for real, and it, it's going to certainly be interesting. Uh, but one thing certain, the New York Jets are not for real. <laughs> Uh, we got a little bit of time, so I want to run through the Week Six matchups and get your take on each game. So we'll start with the one-off games. The Dolphins are two and two. They're traveling to face the Atlanta Falcons, who are coming off the bye. They're three and one on the season. Jose, who do you got in this one?
0: Yeah, you know, give me the Falcons. I mean, this is another one where the Dolphins. I'm just, you know, give them credit. They're two and two. They're playing decent. Um, Jay Cutler has not been very good um, I think at some point they should bench Jay Cutler Format more, give him a chance to play with the ball a little bit But the Falcons are the better team The Falcons should be able to win um, I don't know if Julio Jones is going to be he is good expect- to go He
1: is expected, he is expected to play, to play
0: yep. Which is, I think, I know he got hurt And, you you know, injuries are never good But I think a perfect time to get hurt was when he did Because they had the bye week right after So it allowed him to, to sit out and really get ready um, and the Falcons are 3-1. and one. You know, the Falcons are a little bit of a weird team. They're 3-1, and one, but it doesn't feel like they're 3-1. I think it's time for the Falcons to really get it rolling, and I think a, a matchup against the Dolphins is a good first step for them.
1: Yeah, Atlanta coming off the bye week, as you mentioned. Julio Jones expected to play. I think this is going to be a much different offense than last week where the Dolphins were versing Matt Castle. So I think Atlanta is easily going to cruise to a two-touchdown win over the Miami Dolphins. This is just a home game for Matt Ryan. It should be real simple, and you shouldn't be seeing a loss like they did to the Buffalo Bills.
0: I think you're being very generous with the whole two touchdown. <laughs> it is Jay
1: Cutler at the end of the day. I, I do oh, expect man, it. it's Jay Cutler. I'm expecting <laughs> an interception return. I'm expecting a pit sit, pit sits, and maybe even more pits. So. Then it might
0: be a three-touchdown game, then, if, if
1: that's by the logic. Certainly the possibilities are there for Atlanta to really have a cruising win in this one. Just a much better team at the end of the day. And the Dolphins really coming off a game where they didn't verse any offense in the Tennessee Titans because Marcus Mariota was out, and then you have to face last season's best offense in football. I don't like the chances on that one, so I like Atlanta all the way for that. How about a division rivalry matchup? The 4-1 and one Packers travel to take on the Minnesota Vikings, who are 3-2 and two on the season. For me, Packers have won three straight, easily could have lost two of those games, but the Vikings, no Stefan Dids, no Sam Bradford. Chase Keenum is good, but I don't think he's good enough to go punch for punch with Aaron Rodgers in this scenario. I think the Packers win their fourth straight game and pick up their second straight road win as well. The Packers really have surprised me a little bit this season. I expect them to lose a couple more games in the beginning of the year, but this one should be a win for them, especially how the Vikings played against the Chicago bears as well on that Monday night.
0: Yeah, I'm rolling with the Packers as well. I mean, this is a clear cut thing. If Sam Bradford was healthy and if Stefan Diggs was healthy, and even really if just Sam Bradford was healthy, you know, this might be a different story. It might be a little bit more competitive. But as you said, Keenum, a good backup QB, not going to try and go toe and toe with Aaron Rodgers. That's basically asking David to go toe and toe with Goliath for a couple more rounds than what he did. And I just don't think it's fair to Casey Keenum. And even when Stephon Diggs was on the field on Monday night before he was, you know, he left the game with an injury, he wasn't doing much for the offense. So and Keenum wasn't finding him. Also, I think on a side note, I think it was a big mistake to start Bradford last week. Uh, for the Vikings to watch him hobble around like that um, was not cool. So I don't know if he talked his way into the lineup where they really believed he could have gone. But I think, you know, it's, that's a week that they could have used for Bradford to rest up a little bit more um, to try and get back into the season and really save the Vikings season maybe later down, down the road. Um, I think they could have beaten the Bears without Bradford. You know, they did. Um, but, you know, you could have risked a really significant, bigger injury for Sam Bradford by throwing him in the game which is pretty much any game he enters.
1: <laughs> Basically, yes. But now, more than ever. <laughs> the Lions, 3-2 at New Orleans, 2-2. Two and two. And Jose, who do you have in this matchup?
0: You know, give me the Saints over the Lions. I know the Saints' defense kind of sucks. Uh, but Stafford, I believe, is questionable for, for Sunday's game. And, I know, and there's a lot of inactives, too, uh, for the Detroit Lions going into Sunday's game, whether they're questionable or not. Uh, and you know what? The Saints... They're a weird team. They can always surprise you from time to time, and I think this is one of those weeks they're going to be playing at home. Uh, Drew Brees is Drew Brees, and, you know, I think the Saints are a legit 8-8 eight and eight team. You know, they could go 8-8 eight and eight because one week they suck, one week they'll throw up all these points on you. I think this is going to be one of those weeks where they just take down the Lions. They're going to outscore them.
1: You know, this is going to be our first differential in the matchups, but I have the Lions taking this one. The Saints, they're doing a lot better defensively in their last two weeks. But coming off the bye, I think that can slow a little bit momentum down. You looked at the quarterbacks they had to play as well. They played the Miami Dolphins and Jay Cutler. They played the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton. But that was a different Cam Newton more when he was still struggling in the beginning of the season. So I don't really love the Saints on the QB defense as much. And Stafford, you mentioned he's banged up, but he's expected to play. And. A banged up Stafford is still a good enough Stafford in my mind against the New Orleans Saints. I really like this game for the Lions, and I really truly believe this is also a safe bet on the Lions. They're getting four points to five and a half on different places. And to me, that is a safe bet on the Detroit Lions getting the points. The Lions should win this game against the New Orleans Saints. Patriots are 3-2. and They're going to be playing at the New York Jets in the division matchup. Patriots have struggled this season so far defensively. I think that's going to result in it being a closer game than most of the Patriot Jet games that we've seen in the past. But at the end of the day, it's the New England Patriots. It's Tom Brady. It's Bill Belichick. And that's all I need to say on the Patriots beating the New York Jets. I think it's going to be closer than most in the past. But. It's still going to result in a Patriots win.
0: Patriots, next question. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, again, give the Jets credit; they've been phenomenal so far this year. Again, their defense has been pretty good. Yes, the Patriots' defense is, you know, pretty bad this year, so they might just might be able to throw up a couple of points. Uh, But I mean, like you said, I mean, this is just a classic formula for you know, basically. The alpha male taking down, you know, the rising contender and his Jets, whatever. I just think it's going to be a Patriots all over.
1: Yeah, it just seems like the Patriots are just going to try and put the Jets in more of a place situation. But it it might still give the Jets a lot of momentum. We saw the Jets when they got blown out by the Raiders. They had the momentum to begin. If they can stay very close with the Patriots this entire entire football game, it could continually give the Jets still momentum going into the next upcoming week, saying, you know, we may have not beat the Patriots, but we're good enough to hold with them. Uh, But at the end of the day, still Patriots. 49ers are 0-5. They travel to take on the Washington Redskins. Jose, who do you have in that one?
0: The 49ers get their first win of the season. You heard it here first. Upset special. Special delivery. Now, I mean, the, you know, Washington's playing kind of iffy right now. I understand Kirk Cousins is still Kirk Cousins, so he can easily go off in this game. Uh, but Josh Norman is still out with some ribs injuries. And I think the minute Josh Norman goes down, that secondary really becomes in trouble. Um, I think Pierre Garçon, who Norman would probably would be covering, is going to have a big game because of Norman's absence. I certainly hope so. He's on my fantasy team, starting him over Sammy Watkins. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think the 49ers could get their first win here just because of the lack of... Uh, presence of Josh Norman in the secondary for the Washington team here.
1: 49ers have lost their last 11 East Coast games when they have to travel, and I think it's going to be 12. I have Washington winning by over 20. I, I expect Washington to just go out there offensively and blow past the 49ers. There are a little bit of question marks, like you said. The defense of the Redskins is not nearly as good as a lot of the defense's the 49ers have had to play this season, but at the end of the day, I still see it as a West Coast team having to travel East Coast. Never a great advantage for that West Coast team, and I think Washington easily gets it done. The Bears are one and four on the season. They travel to take on the Baltimore Ravens three and two. Mitch Trubitsky is going to be the starting QB again this week for the Chicago Bears, but I don't believe it's going to wind up in any success for the Bears. The Ravens under John Harbaugh, 9-0 and against rookie QBs in Baltimore. I think it gets to 10-0. and You just have to go with the numbers. When a coach and a team defensively have great success against rookies, it leads me to believe that it will just continue on, and Baltimore moves to 4-2 and at that
0: point. Once again, upset special Trubisky slays the giant that is John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens. Why? Because I truly believe in this kid. I think the Bears pick up their second win of the year.
1: And with that, we've seen a couple of <laughs> big upsets by Jose to begin it.
0: Can you got to a, go big. you got to go big sometimes, Nick. You can't just play it safe all the time.
1: Let's see. Can we get a third? The Browns 0-5 at the Houston Tetsons who are 2-3 and three on the season. Jose, who do you have in that one?
0: I'm going with the Houston Texans. Sorry, Cleveland.
1: <laughs> I couldn't roll with that one. No um, three in a
0: row. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I feel bad because at the beginning of the year, my, my bold prediction was that the Browns are going to go 8-8, eight and eight, and now they're 0-5. So in order for my prediction to come true, they need to go 8-3 and three the rest of their way. I don't think that's going to happen. But um, no, I mean, Cleveland has been disappointing this year. I mean, Miles Garrett made his, pre- uh, made his season debut last week. Looks phenomenal. So I really think just having Garrett there, gives the defense more confidence. So I think you will see a better defensive game from the Browns this week. Uh, and you know and like you said, they lost two big keys on a defensive side of the ball with JJ Watt and the other player who got hurt too. But Deshaun Watson right now is on one of those cruise control things where he's hot right now. Uh, eventually Deshaun Watson will cool off. I think Watson is is it gonna be is gonna be a tremendous quarterback in the NFL. I just think like right now he's steaming hot. He's gonna drop down a little bit. And then wherever he drops down, he'll stay at that level of QB competition. But right now, he's playing way more, you know, at a level than even he's capable of playing at. Um, eventually, that streak will come down; he'll come back down to earth. But for right now, I think Deshaun Watson is just riding high, and he'll continue that hot streak into this week as well, too.
1: Yeah, for me, I think Watson adds a different part on his NFL resume with a late comeback win. I have this game being extremely close, I think, with the Tetsons, as you mentioned, J.J. Watt, Whitney Marcellus, both out for the Tetsons, out for the season. I think that puts the Browns in a good situation to get the offense going. That's not to say that they're going to be able to go toe-to-toe with Watson and the Tetsons offense all game long, but I think that's going to be a good part of the Browns being able to consistently move the chains. Some of we really haven't seen them do too much, but they were able to do that a lot against the Jets. They were able to consistently move the chains, get in a red zone. Unfortunately from there, interceptions, fumbles, missed field goals, and that was a big reason why the Jets were able to beat the Cleveland Browns but I think you're going to see the same thing happen again. They're going to consistently be able to move the chains and this time put up some points against the Houston Texans, and it's going to result in a very close game between these two teams. But overall, Watson with the late comeback win in this football game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2-2 travel to face the Arizona Cardinals 2-3. Yes, the Cardinals got Adrian Peterson, but for me typically, even the veteran presence, I think it takes a little bit while before you get really affiliated with the lineup. And I'm going to have to give it to the Buccaneers. At the end of the day, Doug Martin, I think, is going to have a very impressive game against a very good run defense. So I'm going to take the upset matchup and give it to the running back in Doug Martin. And the Buccaneers move to 3-2 and two on the season. It's certainly going to be a close game in my mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to roll with the Buccaneers as well. I mean, this Cardinals defense was torched last weekend in terms of the passing game. I mean, torched with a capital T, on fire, in flames, and it was really upsetting to see because, you know, we're used to the Cardinals being just a great defense in general, not only to run defense, but the pass, you know, in the passing game too, the Cardinals usually have a good defense, and to watch them get lit up like that, like they were last week, was a little bit disturbing. I think you're going to have a team that has Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans Now, I do think the Buccaneers have been underachieving a little bit, but I think Jameis Winston puts it together. You added the fact that Doug Martin is back. And Adrian Peterson, I know he didn't get many touches in New Orleans, but I truly don't think he has a lot left in the tank. And I don't think trading him to Arizona is going to be any better at the end of the day. I don't think that's going to save the Cardinals' season. I don't think it's going to save his career. Um, Just give me the Buccaneers in this game. Just because how bad the passing defense looked, for the Cardinals last week, and then you get two of the top wide receivers in a game coming in this week, I don't like that matchup at all.
1: Yeah, Cardinals have been just allowing a lot of points of late, and it's just, they're not the defense that we've seen, and I think part of that is because the offense just can't get going at the end of the day. 3-2 and two Rams versus the 3-2 and two Jacksonville Jaguars, and we mentioned both of these teams in overreaching or... For real, And, Jose, who do you have in this
0: one? Give me the Los Angeles Rams. Jared Goff throws for two touchdowns. And how this game ends, I will tell you. It ends on a Blake Bortles interception. The Jaguars will have the ball late. Blake Bortles is going to try and get his Aaron Rodgers on, but it's not going to work because he's not Aaron Rodgers. He is Blake Bortles, and that tells you enough as it is.
1: You know, I'm going to take the Jets and the Jaguars in this. Los Angeles team having to travel to Florida. A lot of traveling on that for the Rams. The Jaguars already played very well against the Steelers last week. I do think you could look at that and say there could be a little bit of a hangover from that situation. But the Jaguars defense just so impressive this season. If they can keep the football game close, I expect them to do very well against the run against Todd Gurley. We've seen success by both teams. I think this will be a little bit of a... Very good defensive battle. But ultimately, I'm giving it to the home team. I'm giving it to the team that's not having to travel in this situation. And I'm giving it to, again, it is Blake Bortles who I don't really trust. But overall, this team has been good enough to believe in. So I'm giving it to the Jacksonville Jaguars in this game. Yeah, I know. I'm trusting Blake Bortles. I don't like it either. Silence, so I can give you silence. <laughs> exactly. How about an interesting matchup between the Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs? The Chiefs currently five and O, oh. while well, the Steelers have right now struggled, but they're still three and two on the season.
0: It's- yeah, th- this is an interesting one, and I'm actually going to roll with the Steelers, um, which is I, I've been mulling this one over a lot because. You know, it's just—it's one of those games where it really could go either way. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was terrible his last time out. There's just no other way to put it. But I think the Steelers have a lot to prove. they they, they got to get it going. I mean, you're looking at a division that really no one's taking it by storm yet. You know, the Ravens are three and two as well. Uh, the Bengals didn't get off to the highest of starts. You still have Cleveland, who's zero and five. So this division is really for the taking. I think the Steelers need to be thankful that no team in that division has really caught fire and ran away with the division because the Steelers, you know, they've lost to what should have been winnable games for them, honestly, this year. Um, and for the Steelers, again, ben, Ro- ben Roethlisberger, not playing well. Le'Von Bell took a little bit to get going. Now he's going. Uh, Antonio Brown not being thrown to enough. Um, that's partly because of Ben Roethlisberger's struggles and a defensive struggle too, as well too. But I think this is the week they put it together. I think they got a good win over the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Chiefs get to lose their first game of the year.
1: For me, I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. Ben Roethlisberger has had great success in Kansas City against the Chiefs, but this is just seeming like a different Chiefs team. Overall, the defense is still very good for Kansas City. Offensively, this Chiefs team is a juggernaut. I really like Alex Smith in this game. Kareem Hunt has been excellent on the season. It's tough to go against undefeated team. The one concern with my mind when I'm picking the Chiefs is the Steelers. Always seem to be that team when they're playing a really, really good team. They play better. When they play a really bad team, they play down. We saw that against the Jaguars. We saw that against the Bears. I think it's just like... You know, they just expect it to be a little bit easier for them and lose to those bad teams in those situations. But they are able to win in good games, matchups. But for me, Kansas City has just been one step above everybody else this season. I think that continues on as the Chiefs move to Sitsuno to start off the year. Division rival matchup: Chargers one and four against the Raiders two and three. And Jose, who do you have in that one?
0: Well, give me the Raiders in this one again. This is another team that's been underachieving as of late. Um, but Derek Carr is supposed to be back this week. Um, Marshawn Lynch is still in Oakland. He has a brand new TV show, reality show. That title doesn't make any sense at all. I think he's feeling hyped, and you know, obviously it's the Chargers. So give me the Raiders in this one.
1: And Sunday Night Football. Not looking like it would have been before the season started. Sunday night, the New York Giants 0-5 travel to face the Denver Broncos 3-1. And, and We mentioned this before. No Aldo Beckham Jr., no Brandon Marshall, no real wide receivers on the team. And Denver's coming off a bye week. They've been so impressive this season. And here's the scariest number of it all. 95 yards. The Denver Broncos defense has allowed rushing to a combined Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, Ezekiel Elliott, and Melvin Gordon. Through the first four weeks, they've only allowed 95 rushing yards to those four running backs. And the Giants are going with who? DeWarco or Dolman in this situation? It does not look like it's going to be a tough chance for me to say that Denver doesn't blow out the Giants easily. The only thing that I think the Giants keep themselves in this game is if they start intercepting every pass or start forcing every turnover in these situations. But it just seems like when you're 0-5, the defense just isn't there as much with nothing to believe in.
0: Intercepting with what cornerback? Dominique Rogers camardi got suspended for leaving practice the other day. You can't make this stuff up. No, I mean, as you said, I was going to say, the good news is that I don't think the Giants running game is, has rushed for 95 yards yet this season combined. So, I mean, the Broncos are in good shape. The only way I see the Giants winning this game is if Von Miller break both of his legs walking out of the locker room. Uh, if they're too lazy coming out of the bye week. Or, you know, if the apocalypse happens and breaks the field right down the middle and everything comes to an end. It could be a possibility with everything that's going on in the world today. But honestly, uh, this is a very hard game. To say that the Giants are going to win, I mean the Giants already had no running game. Now they have no passing game because of a lack of receivers. I mean you can't just you can't make this stuff up. And unless Eli Manning is going to break out four rushing touchdowns, I don't see the Giants winning this ball game at all.
1: Yeah, this could be one of those type of games where Eli's going to have to throw fifty passes and when he th- <laughs> to who to <laughs> who <laughs> that's that's the better point. And when he when Marshall Shepherd. Harris all left the game. Eli got set five times after that by the Chargers defense. Just on that alone, what is Denver going to do to this Giant offense other than completely maul them at this point? Like it, it it does not look like it's going to be anywhere of a fun matchup for the New York Giants, and you just hope that Eli still has someone to throw to or run the ball off to or doesn't spend all the football game on his back, which it really seems like he might. Lastly, the Monday night football game. Indianapolis Colts 2-3 and three versus the Tennessee Titans. 2-3. and three. Jacoby Brissett, maybe Marcus Mariota plays for the Tennessee Titans. If he doesn't, it's Matt Castle. And This is one of those situations for me. It all depends on Marcus Mariota. If Mariota plays, I like the Tennessee Titans in this game. If he doesn't play, the Colts with Jacoby Brissett, I see winning this football game. So it really is going to be on Marcus Mariota and if he plays. Because in my mind, Jacoby Brissett has looked pretty good. He's not Andrew Luck like and When Andrew Luck comes back, of course Andrew Luck's going to be the starter. But Brissett has looked like a pretty good backup through these first couple of weeks with the Indianapolis Colts. And I have been impressed by him so far. And when we see him going against poorer teams, he plays very well in those situations. And without Mariota, the Tennessee Titans got really struggled against the Miami Dolphins. And you could expect possibly the same thing in my mind if Mariota doesn't play for the Titans on Monday night.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. If it wasn't for Brissette, I think the Colts would be in a lot worse shape than they are right now. At least Brissette has made them competitive. That way, if Andrew Luck does come back at some point, he could just take right over. And you're looking at the Colts, you know, I, if, if Mario, even if Mariota does play, I still think the Colts have a good chance of winning because of Brissette. I think he's that good, even as a backup. Um, and you're looking at the Colts possibly being 3-3 three and three after Monday, which is not a bad point in the season to be and six games in and with Andrew Luck looming. I mean, there's reports that he's finally practicing again, which means he can come back pretty soon. And, I mean, if you ask a lot of Colts fans, hey, do you want Andrew Luck to come back week 7 with the Colts 3-3 or 0-6? Obviously, they're going to take the 3-3, and and they probably wouldn't have expected it either.
1: Yeah, if you can get to 3-3 three and three right now as the Indianapolis Colts, you're still fighting for a division spot at that point. Because if the Jaguars do fall, or the Tetsons win, you're all three, you are 3-3. Three and three. And then you have Andrew Luck back coming soon. It puts the Indianapolis Colts in a great situation where originally it looked like for the first couple of weeks that the Colts were going to easily not even win two games this season without Andrew Luck. And now they have a real possibility if Marcus Mariota doesn't play in this football game. Not the greatest of Sunday night or Monday night games, especially if Mariota doesn't play. on Before the season started, it looked really well. But... At the moment, it doesn't look like they're going to be either one of those two games. But ignoring that, which dam are you most interested in uh, in the week six matchups?
0: I think it has to be the Rams and Jaguars. I think that's a team, I mean, those are two teams, again, that everybody's pretty much questioning at this point. Are they for real? Are they not for real? And just seeing them square off, again, it's kind of like a, what we were talking about with the ALCS, it's kind of like a youth movement thing, the youth movement thing. Uh, the Jaguars are a pretty young team. The Rams are a pretty young team. So I just think it's going to be an exciting matchup. You know, for one of these teams, a loss in that game to each other, um, you know, can really upset things in their division. I mean, you're talking about, like you said, if the Jaguars lose their 3-3 three and three, and if the Colts win their 3-3 three and three, and they can set off a three-way tie in that division. Uh, if you're uh, the Rams, you're trying to keep pace with the Seahawks, a loss can really derail that, too, as well, too. So uh, I feel like a lot is on the line in that game. And it's just you know it's two teams that we have a lot of question marks about, um, so watching them go head to head should be pretty interesting. Yeah,
1: for me, I'm looking at the Packers versus the Minnesota Vikings, a division matchup right there. But you know, these are three. When you look at this division, Packers four and one, Vikings three and two, Lions three and two. It makes for a very tight division at the moment. It's going to be interesting to see how well the Vikings can do. They have really struggled against division rivals in the past. So I'm looking at that as a big game this week to see where these two teams match up against each other and the rest of the division overall on the season between the Packers and the Vikings. And with that, let's jump straight into Beardbat where we take a look back in sports history. on Because we were recording this podcast on October 14th, so we will jump right into that. And we'll begin in 1969 where today marks the first World Series game at Shea Stadium. The Mets would win the World Series 4-1. to one, And the team is forever known as the Miracle Mets. So both of us Mets fans, obviously it's been a terrible season for the New York Mets. But it's nice to look back on today and remember the Miracle Mets as well and the first World Series game at Shea Stadium. In 1979... The NHL's greatest scorer, Wayne Gretzky, scored his first NHL goal. And then in 1990, Joe Montana for the San Francisco 49ers passed for 476 yards and six touchdowns, five of which went to Jerry Rice, both of those Hall of Famers and two of the players known as the greatest ever, greatest wide receiver, and in my mind, the second best quarterback in the NFL, only to Tom Brady. And because we couldn't go without talking about something with the MLB playoffs as well, in 2003, see if this name rings a bell for you, Jose, Steve Bartman. Today is the official day that fan Steve Bartman deflects the ball away from Chicago Cubs outfield and moises a (coughs) loo. Of course, the Cubs gave... Up eight runs in the inning to lose to the Marlins, eight to three, and it really changed Bartman's life, and it was also a turning point in the series for the Chicago Cubs, and of course, Cubs fans always felt the curse lived on after that, and a tough, heartbreaking moment for Steve Bartman, it was just the fan going to a ball game, but of course, a memory in and of itself as well and that will forever be remembered in Cubs history, in fan history, in baseball history and I that passed in 2003 to the day.
0: See, you used the word deflect, I used the word trying to get a souvenir, The poor man.
1: Which any fan would be doing (laughs) as well. If I'm sitting in a seat, I would probably be wanting to try and grab a souvenir. Although, I've been
0: noticing that every time, like especially in the Boston series, and even in some of the Yankee series too, when home runs are hit, you're starting to see a lot of fans kind of back up nowadays. Like fans like putting their arms out in front of other fans. Like I feel like a lot of fans are resisting the temptation to grab the ball because no one wants to become the next Steve Bartman.
1: Yeah, especially in Chicago.
0: I think we yeah. saw that
1: especially <laughs> in Chicago in last year's playoffs. Like everybody just taking a deep breath, not going after the ball. It's bigger than that. And uh, certainly, you can make the case on that one as well. And always following Beard back in, sport, uh, in sports history. We have a dude and dunce of the week. And for me, the dude of the week has to go to DD Gregorius, going two for four with two home runs, three RBIs in game five of the ALDS. A big reason why the Yankees advanced to the ALCS is because of DD hitting those two home runs. Off Corey Kruber and taking Kruber pretty much out of the game at that point.
0: Yeah, D.D. Gregorius has been very quietly a great pickup for the Yankees when they traded for him. A lot of people didn't like the move at first. A lot of people you know, didn't like D.D. Gregorius at a time, too. But he has really been a special player ever since coming to the Yankees. And even this year has had a very quiet season in the cleanup spot um, for a guy you don't typically see batting cleanup. Yeah, not
1: a lineup that contains players like Sanchez and Judge, and just a phenomenal offensive lineup. The last person you would think would be hitting clean-up every game, D.D.
0: And as you said, following Dude dude of the Week is Dunce of the Week, and I have multiple Dunces, but they're all in one group. Their name is the Cleveland Indians. Not only do you blow a 3-1 lead in a World Series last year, you come back this year, have the best phenomenal season probably in franchise history, you win over 100 games. You win 22 games in a row, and then you win two. You go up two in a division series just to lose three straight games to the New York Yankees. I'm sorry, but I understand Game 3 was a pitcher's duel. He lost because of one run. Uh, Andrew Miller mistake. Greg Bird hit a home run. And I don't want to take away any credit from the Yankees. You tip your cap. The Yankees played phenomenal. They battled back. They clawed back and won three in a row. But I saw no urgency to close this series out before it got back to Cleveland. And by that time, it's too late. I have an old saying, if you're let the series, if you up 2-0 or if you're up 3-0 and you let the series get to game five or you let the series get to game seven, you deserve to lose that series. I'm sorry. You have three chances to try and close it out. Show a little urgency. Show some fight. Show me that you want it. By the time it got back to game five, Cleveland deserved to lose that series. And again, tip your cap to the Yankees. But for the Indians, man, you want to talk about being a choke artist. And now that 22-game win streak means absolutely nothing.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a disappointment for the Cleveland Indians and the fan base, and just bat to bat seasons of not being able to close out games. As you mentioned, the World Series up three one, and now the ALDS hey. as well up two hey. nothing.
0: And there was a lot of questionable moves in that series too. After they were up two zero, I mean, you start Trevor Bauer on three days rest. I understand Bauer was a machine in game one, but Trevor Bauer's numbers on three days rest in his career are hot garbage on fire. Um, you know, tons right now Salazar's here All Salazar in a lot of moves and that uh, ball game too
1: yeah t- tough moment for the Cleveland Indians and I completely agree with you dunce of the week when you are the better team and you can't get it done at the end of the day and had the Nationals won it I actually would have given it to Steven Stratsburg for the tremendous pitching that he did in that series, but at the end, it's a loss for the Nationals at the end of the day, but a phenomenal game and series out of those two teams. Well,
0: And you know what, though? And you know what? We're throwing, we're throwing them in here in two. They're the Dunce of the Week as well, too, the Nationals, oh. just because. <laughs> <laughs> because they can't get it done. I was going to be nice, but you know I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? No. We're putting the Nationals in there, too. They're co-Dunce of the Week along with the Indians. I don't have to give a reason why they're the Nationals. Bryce Harper is going to be a Cub. Mark my words.
1: Certainly can't argue uh, the idea of dunce a week. I don't know if he'll be a cub as of yet. What he will be is one of the highest paid players in a year. That is for sure. With that in mind, Sarasa Nabeira, episode 10. It's just about wrapping up, but we will preview this part of it. Episode 11, we're going to be talking about the NBA. As the NBA season is just about to begin this year. We're going to give our projections on teams as well, give our projections of the NBA championship. And we're going to talk a little bit about the offseason, big game players moving to Oklahoma in Paul George, as well as Tomell Anthony. So we'll be talking a lot of the NBA in that Suites podcast. And of course, we might be talking a little bit of the MLB, depending on how the NLCS and ALCS is going. Of course, you've heard our pits in it as well. I have Houston and the Chicago Cubs playing in the World Series now. And I believe Jose has the Yankees and the Cubs matching up against each other. 2 longtime long-time teams. So that would be certainly an interesting and a huge market moment as well for them. But until that time, thank you so much for listening to Sarasana Beard, Episode 10 once again, I am Nick Sarasso.
0: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera.
1: And of course, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for episode 11 of Saraso and the Beard coming out next week where we talk about the NBA.